Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I got both kids out of the apartment for an hour and a half, and I am raring to go for this Friday weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I got all this energy saved up after yesterday's kind of sleepy podcast. It was a sleepy podcast because there was actually a child asleep in the next room, and he was he was fussing out, man. He wouldn't just he wouldn't just mellow. What a jerk. <laughs> I did yesterday's podcast at kind of like a loud whisper volume, and now today I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. Fired up. We're taking a... So, you know, this these last couple weeks I've been talking about doing bucketology and all that stuff, but because Yahoo has been, thankfully in this case, quite transparent with uh, when they're going to be putting out ADP data... We know that we're still 12 days off. It's Friday, August the 12th. Off-season episode number 90, by the way. That's crazy. We're still 12 days off. And I don't know how many shows that means. Eight shows, something like that. From having Yahoo ADP data at our fingertips. And... Because they haven't moved the players around a second time, at least not to my knowledge, it looks like everybody's pretty much where they were the last time I popped in, we were sort of stuck. We can't get to the next level of bucketology. Now, we can finish up phase two, and we can start to sort of arrange them into the the pre-buckets, which is great and all, but one we can't really start to finalize everything until we know where these players are going. We talked about it in, in some detail about Terry Rozier yesterday. Yeah, we're going to put him in a specific bucket, but a lot of decisions get made when you see player ADP. You can then do the whole, okay, well, I'll move him down a bucket and then sort of green light him in the lower bucket. Okay, I move him down from bucket five to bucket six, but put him at the top of it so I know this is where I want to take this guy, this is where he's going, this is how I maximize my value. That stuff is all critically important to making up your own list because, as I must remind you all, the game theory element of all of this is the single most important part understanding what order players go in and how to maximize the value you can get is how we, remember this sentence, we've used it before, get the greatest number of target players on our team. Because it doesn't always mean take them in the order you think they're going to finish. But don't worry, we'll talk about it at that at great length. Once we get into mock drafts, that's all going to be coming after the ADP data comes out. We'll have kind of a first thing We'll, we'll do that first bucket when the ADP, ADP data drops. Then we'll talk about it. Then we'll do a mock about it. Before you know it, friends, it'll be the middle of September, and then we'll just be into deep mocks. We got the industry mock at, at some point in there. Oh, I got to figure out how to clear my calendar. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get all everybody on the show like I did last season. That was, cr- that was fun. That was a lot of fun. It was also crazy. We had like... We did weekend episodes leading up to the season. I don't know if that's going to be happening again this year. There's just, 
my life. A puzzle piece, a jigsaw puzzle of infinite pieces, and none of them fit together. It's a wonder we get these shows out when we do. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'll say it again. I am your host, Dan Bespris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Drop me a follow on Twitter and hit me up if you want to be part of our growing operation here at Sports Ethos. Uh, a good number of you have actually reached out about covering a team specifically now be- that we've opened it up to baseball and football and hockey, if you want. Although, um, I think we'd like to get our fantasy hockey show launched before a team show, but, uh, you know, whatever, whatever works. That's all in the mix. Podcast division is growing rapidly here at Ethos. I'm really excited about that because I run that division with the help of my good buddy, David Williams, host of the Ethos Grizzlies podcast. One of the hosts, I should say. So hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, or email roster at sportsethos.com if you don't have social media and you want to get involved, you want to cover a team as a podcaster. Look to David's Grizzlies show, by the way, as a wonderful example of how to do it. Consistent episodes, consistent product, excellent work he's been able to they've been able to get in arena media passes isn't that what we all kind of want cover a team legitimize yourself it's a lot of fun so with all of that uh early stuff in mind as i was talking about opening up the show on how we can't really get to the next level of bucketology yet we well i mean we could um we could do that sort of half-baked phase three. I'd rather wait, maybe do a little bit of that next week. And instead, I threw a tweet out there saying, take a break from Bucketology for tomorrow's Friday weekend show. Sent that tweet yesterday. What players do you want a brief segment on? Because we're not going to break down every single player leading up to the start of the season. Um, I know I, and on our last mailbag set... I mentioned that there were some things that I'd be covering kind of later in the run-up to the season. Things, guys that are undervalued, you know, that they'll work their way into the the Dan Vespers old man squad. Typically, uh, you've got people are interested in second-year players. We'll do some stuff on that. We'll do a little bit of stuff on rookies, although you know generally how we feel about that. So a lot of that kind of stuff I, I pushed off a little bit. But I thought it might be fun to just get a feel for... Who are people interested in right now? What are the names that are garnering the most will-they-won't-they kind of stuff in this very early juncture? And a few of the names that came my way, uh, only one, oddly enough, was actually repeated, and that was Alperin Shengun. And then there were a whole bunch of other ones that got flipped in the mix. Malcolm Brogdon ended up in there. Jonathan Isaac... Zach Levine, Brandon Ingram, C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, Cade Cunningham, Demonis Sabonis, Kawhi Leonard, Ben Simmons, Darius Garland. A lot of really good and fun names in that mix. And I'll be honest with you guys, there wasn't any one specific name that you threw at me that I thought was the most interesting one. But because Shengun got uh, asked about twice... It felt like he was probably a guy we should start with. Aprin Shengun uh, is 
pre-ranked 134 on Yahoo right now. And I would venture to guess he'll be going much earlier than that when you get into your actual drafts. Because Christian Wood is gone, so there's, there's nothing standing in his way anymore. The story on Shangun is a little bit mixed because from a counting stat perspective, his fantasy game is ridiculous. It is that good. And you can see it in the last month of the season when Christian Wood was basically shut down. I think, what, Wood played, didn't he take off like the last three weeks of the year? So you could look at that and you could say, okay, what did that mean for Shangun? Well, over that stretch, his minutes jumped from around 21 to about 32 per ball game. However, over those last two to three weeks, he was still ranked outside the top 125. Why? Well, the magic of small sample size is actually the only reasonable answer there. Because a lot of guys over that two-week stretch had extraordinary runs. And for Shengun, his was just pretty good and was kind of easy to get lost in the shuffle. But there wasn't that big, obvious, detrimental piece. In fact, if you extrapolated his numbers from those last two weeks of the season, so Shengun's last five or six games when Christian Wood was sitting it out, remember he missed a couple there as well, he averaged 13 points, eight rebounds, almost five assists, a block, almost no steals, which, look, that's unsustainably low, 46% shooting from the field, which is unfortunately a little lower than you'd want from a center, but that's probably what you're going to get. And then he hit all 15 of his free throws over that stretch, which also kind of unsustainable number. And if you even look at the last month of the year, when Christian Wood actually did play in some of those games, Shengun was at 26 and a half minutes over that stretch, averaged 12 and a half points, seven boards, three and a half assists, 0.8 steals, 0.8 blocks, closer to 50% from the field, about 81 at the free throw line. And over the entire season, Shengun was at 10 points, five and a half rebounds. Remember, there's a lot of games where he wasn't actively involved. 47 and a half from the field, 71 at the free throw line. What we don't know is specifically what's real, mostly from the foul line. He has a decent enough stroke as a shooter goes. Not terrific. Didn't really shoot much from downtown. And when he did, he was bad. He shot 25% from three. But... You can see that it's in there, and he was starting to take a few more of them towards the end of the season. Similarly from the field, one would assume that as he settles into the NBA speed, he's a guy where the field goal percent will inch up a little bit. He's not a big, tough brute. He's more of a finesse guy. And, I mean, yeah, he can dunk. He's 6'10", so obviously he can dunk, but he's not... He's not a leaper. He's not a high flyer like a Christian Wood, but in front of him, when you're like, oh, well, Christian Wood shot three-pointers and had a higher field goal percent. Yeah, because when he got around the rim, he'd slam it through, bigger, stronger, older. All of that stuff. Shengu just turned 20 about a week and a half ago. Nah, two weeks ago. Sorry, lost track of time. Just turned 20. Dude still has to have a sprite when the team goes out. So there's just infinite counting stat potential with Shengun. that's the obvious part you know like we just talked about there when he was getting 30 minutes a game he was putting up really nice numbers 13 points eight boards and almost five assists from your center not ignoring the fact that 
Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green were each taking about 21 shots a game over that stretch. Sengun could easily see more than 10 and a half shots per game this coming year. And so the usage ticks up at all. I mean, he's, a, he's probably the best passer on the team out of the center spot as well. I know that last year I kept saying, please stop stashing this guy over and over and over again because you're waiting all year for a thing that may never happen. And it did happen. It just happened in the last five games of a season. So that doesn't really count. But you also need to know when the time is right to make the pivot. And obviously, the time is right to make the pivot now. The center job is his. There's no one coming for it. He's their center of the future, and they're really excited about that. However, there are a few things we need to watch out for. The most obvious thing you need to watch out for is hype. Alperen Sengun is going to be one of the most hyped players going into drafts this season. That preseason rank of 134 isn't going to last a week past the first ADP data coming out. You're going to see the ADP on Sengun start at like 110 and then just motor up into the 70s and 80s. At which point you have to ask yourself, in kind of a similar situation to someone like an OG Ananobi last year, where you're like, oh, well, guys got out of his way, you know, Kyle Lowry's gone, so all those shots and usage that gets distributed among the other guys. Yeah, that's true. We all liked him, but how far can you go? It's called chasing. That's the terminology in betting, in stock market, whatever. Do you chase? There's there's always one guy every year where you should chase, and I'm having trouble remembering who that was last season uh, but there's always one. Um, who was the chase guy last year? I don't want to say Darius Garland because his situation improved when all the other guards on his team got hurt. Uh, DeJounte Murray was kind of a chase guy last year. He was getting some hype, and his ADP moved from like 65 to 45, but obviously that wasn't nearly enough. That might be your hype guy from last year. The other guys that overperformed weren't really getting much in the way of hype. Like, Miles Bridges wasn't getting much hype. Desmond Bain wasn't getting a whole lot of hype. Sorry, it's hard to talk about Miles Bridges right now, but, like, he existed last year, so we'll just talk about him as though he, you know, actually played a, a basketball season and isn't in massive legal trouble for this year. Uh, Mo Bamba had a decent amount of hype, and his ADP went from, like, 130 to 90 something and that wasn't enough but you have to be you have to know when is too far too far and with a guy like Shingun, because the ceiling is so ridiculously high and we just can't possibly know what sort of steps he takes forward he may end up being one of those guys where no amount of hype is too much hype We'll see. Now, obviously, if he gets pushed up into, like, the 50s and 60s, that's too much hype. But I don't I don't see it going quite that far. I mean, there's too many established, sometimes veterans, sometimes younger, but just established fantasy studs into the 50s and 60s that a guy like a Shengun probably doesn't end up getting moved that far. Like, I think if, he's, if his pre-rank really is 134 right now, which seems insane, insane to me, that'll probably get pushed inside 100 you might see him in that bomba al horford like 80 to 100 range and i'd be totally fine grabbing him even towards the front end of that 
because there's almost no downside. The floor, provided he really does have this job locked in, and it sure seems like he does, the floor is extraordinarily high for someone of his fantasy build. And I again, I want to look at that last month, because then you at least have a slightly larger sample size. Even without much in the way of usage, you're talking about a guy that could average over a steal, over a block, 15, 8, and almost 5 assists per game this coming year. So if the percentages are anywhere near decent, that's a guy that's pushing top 50. And if they give him the ball more than you know 10 times per ball game, and the usage trends up at all, then you're talking about a guy that could push even higher than that. Now, again, that's why I wouldn't take him at 50 or 55. You've wiped out the upside. But 80? Sure. But again, we're guessing a little bit right now because ADP data is going to come out and it's going to show like 115. And then they're going to adjust it two weeks later and it's going to show 105. And then they're going to adjust it two weeks after that. And now it's late September and suddenly his ADP is 90. And you're starting to get an idea of where this thing is headed. We may not know how high it goes. And you might only know from doing like four mock drafts the day before your actual fantasy draft, where is this this guy going right now? Because every time someone's list comes out, he's probably going to get pushed earlier. That's my guess. Reading the tea leaves a little bit, but like NBC's going to have their list come out and... Like, this is for good reason. He should be ranked way higher than 134. NBC's list is going to come out, and he's going to go earlier. Basketball Monsters is going to have their stuff come out, and that might be out really soon. And he's going to go earlier. And we'll have our stuff come out, and he'll probably go... Like, every single person, every single reputable fantasy rank list is going to push his ADP earlier until it gets too far, but that might not happen until it's too late. Like you might, and that's what I thought was kind of happening with OG Ananobi last year. Like his kept going. It was 55, then it was 50, then it was 45, then it was 40, then it was 35, then it was 30. And you're like, okay, that's too early for me. And you might have started to see it rebound back down the board a little bit, but most people were drafting right when it got a little bit too early. So even though you might want someone like Shangun on your roster this coming year, we all do. You got to make that call in the moment, in the two days leading up to your draft. Where is he going right now? And is it too much? That's my take there. I'd love to have him on my fantasy team. Um, we don't know exactly how durable he's going to be, but he can do all the things. That's a that's a really fun player to have on your club. Like he could just roll out there one day and go for. 15, 15, 5, two steals and two blocks and a three-pointer. And you're going to be going, oh, man. There are going to be some turnovers, though. <laughs> He's passing that much. He's going to have some turnovers. So I don't know. You know, he got asked about twice in this thread, so I wanted to do Shengun first. I think it's also probably the longest explanation. Another name I wanted to jump to here, uh, and these are guys coming off of injury, which we touched upon last month. But now that we have their pre-ranks in hand, it's a tiny bit of a different ballgame. Not, not completely, but a little bit. And those guys are Damian Lillard and Kawhi Leonard, who are actually pre-ranked back-to-back, 15 and 16 this coming year. And you guys know, I am typically 
very afraid. Very afraid. Of drafting injured players. But that's different than drafting a player who was injured. So, I offer you this uh, one checkbox. The checkbox is, if both of these guys are completely normal during training camp, which I expect they will be. Dame is expected to be totally normal going into this season. Kawhi, by the time training camp rolls around, won't have played in about a year and a half, so he should be about ready to go. I actually think at 15 and 16, these dudes are intense values on the fantasy side. Especially when you look at some of the players that are ranked in front of them, and when you compare the this idea of kind of per game and totals. First of all, like, what needs really to be said about Kawhi Leonard? When he is healthy, which is a big when, big if, when he is healthy, he's a top six, top seven per game fantasy guy. Whether or not Paul George is playing all the games next to him. Kawhi is just that good. He is the one of the very few players in all of fantasy that can actually be a net positive in all nine categories. Not even Nikola Jokic can claim that, because Jokic only hits a little over one three-pointer per game. When healthy, Kawhi can sniff nine-cat dominance. Uh, You'd have to kind of combine a couple of his seasons recently, but like if you look at 2021, Kawhi was a positive in everything besides blocks, where he only had .4. He had two turnovers a game, which is like technically a, a very slight negative, but when you consider the company he's he's holding there in the first round, you can almost call that a positive. And then if you go to the previous year, where his blocks were actually a little bit higher, he had .6 per game, uh, his field goal percent was only 47, only, I say, um, so you kind of need to combine two seasons together. But Kawhi Leonard is basically a nine-cat guy who, again, when healthy, is basically never outside the top seven. That's just where he's at now. I'm trying to think of the last time he was, and I feel like it was five or six years ago in San Antonio. Since he's been the claw, the Kawhi we know, he's a mid-first-round fantasy play. Now, we also know about Kawhi that he's going to miss anywhere from 15 to 20 ball games in probably a best-case scenario because he's Kawhi, because he's coming off of a severe injury, the Clippers are very deep. They feel, I'm sure, just fine about their opportunity to make the playoffs. And so, you know, there's kind of no reason to play him more than they need to. He missed 15 games his first season in L.A. That was the, uh, that was the, the Rudy Gobert year. And then the purposefully shortened season, he missed 20. He missed 22 during his championship year in Toronto. You missed almost the entire previous season, and obviously you missed this most recent one. So, based on what we've seen with Kawhi, you can probably assume he's playing about 60 out of 82 ballgames this coming year. Is that enough? Is that enough? Well, I would say go back to 2018-2019, where Kawhi was with the Raptors. That was the championship year. He was number 7 on a per-game basis that season. And by the way, I would argue he's maybe gotten a little bit better since then. By totals, Kawhi was still number 18. That's in 60 out of 82 games. 
So if you're able to get Kawhi around pick 18, which seems like that's roughly where he's going, that's kind of the floor for him. Because again, if you look back at uh, 2021, when Kawhi actually was putting up even better numbers, his percentages have improved since then. He actually wasn't scoring as much, but 51% from the field, 89% at the free throw line. That was actually enough to make him even more formidable than his Toronto year, where he was at 49.5 and 85. You wouldn't think that those would actually make that large of a difference because he was scoring more with the Raptors, took more shots. But again, percentages matter. They really do. Turnovers actually went down, steals were a little higher, assists were a little bit higher, but other, otherwise things were kind of on, on pace with what they were before. So let's say you get 2021, sorry, 20-21 Kawhi Leonard, who was number six per game, missed 20 games that year, and that happens again, 20 or 22 games. He's still likely inside the first round by totals. And what about Damian Lillard, who's... I mean, this is, to me, this one's an easier one because Dame has never been the rest a whole bunch of ball games. The Blazers are not going to have the luxury of sitting Dame in a bunch of ball games this coming year. They're not as good as the Clippers. Not close. Certainly not. If each of those teams rested their superstar, the Clippers would have a far better record than the Blazers, who I think are going to be fighting to get out of the play-in tournament. So Dame is going to try to play. They'll give him some games off. They won't really have a choice. But when you consider the fact that, again, per game, Damian Lillard and Kawhi Leonard were basically a dead heat in the COVID, the Rudy Gobert year. And Dame was two slots behind Kawhi in the, again, the purposefully shortened season on a per game basis. But over those two years, Dame played 67 out of the Blazers, 72 games, when Kawhi played 52 out of 72. So Dame was actually number three by totals in the 20-21 season. And if you go to the previous one, where those two guys had the exact same per-game value, Dame beat Kawhi by almost 33% by totals because he played 10 more games. Do I think Dame is going to play 10 more games than Kawhi this year? Eh, I mean, that's like saying, look, if I think Kawhi is going to play 60, do I think Dame gets to 70? Doubtful. But I could very easily see Dame get to 67, 68, which would be basically right on par with the league average. And da-da-da-da-da, if Dame is indeed a number 8, 9, 10 per game fantasy player again, which, by the way, I know Portland's made adjustments, but... To me, one of the biggest adjustments is that they don't have C.J. McCollum anymore. Jeremy Grant is there. They brought Nurkic back. They brought in Gary Payton the second. I think defensively, the Blazers have gotten better and more versatile on offense. But as far as, like, volume guys go, they might need to shoot more. Or even, it feels like if his number goes down on field goal attempts per game, it ain't going to be by much. So let's say he stays around 20 shots per game and six or seven free throws per game or whatever it happens to be, and he actually is healthy this coming year. It's it's pretty reasonable. I know we got Anthony Simons out there, but do we think he steps in and takes the exact same number of shots as C.J. McCollum? I have, Dame feels like almost a lock 
per game, again, provided he is healthy coming into the season, he had a lot of time to rest, but, you know, we, we got to see during training camp. He feels like a near lock to be a top 10 per game guy, especially when you talk about some of the other names that we've been discussing. Remember the who should go number two discussion? I wouldn't deign to put Damian Lillard in that category because there's, there is too much of a red flag hanging on around him. But, like, among players that could fall in that 2 through 11 range, why not him? And if he's really going at 15, boy, getting, like, the 8th or ninth pick this year is a whole lot less awful than getting it last year. Although I will say, getting pick on the turn again this season, you're still going to kind of get stuck with one of those guys that you didn't really want. I don't want to be on the turn. LeBron, by the way, that ADP of 13, that's going to go higher before, or the preseason rank, that'll go higher before your draft happens. Let's do one more player, and then I'll send you all off into a delightful weekend. It's not Ben Simmons, because you guys know how I feel about him. I don't actually believe that he wants to play basketball all that badly, and I know there's mental stuff going on, and I'm not faulting him for it. I just think that's who he is. And so, that's a fade. That's a quick discussion for me. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is a fade, unless they clear something out in Boston. I mean, you're looking at a guy who, as the lead guy, was more like 40s, 50s range, as the third, fourth, fifth option. If he creeps inside the top 100, I think that would be a win of a season for him. Jonathan Isaac is a great question. We haven't heard anything about him in forever. He might end up being a really fun late-round grab in Roto Leagues that I probably wouldn't touch in head-to-head. This is lightning round on these guys. CJ McCollum, yes, losing value with Zion coming back. Brandon Ingram, losing value with Zion coming back. Zach Levine, uh, stasis, should be about the same year over year. Bulls didn't really change much. Pretty quiet offseason in Chicago. Uh, I would expect Cade Cunningham to take a step forward. Um, We can do a little bit more on him Later in this offseason, we'll probably do uh, maybe some second-year guy type of stuff. Uh, but so the last one I wanted to talk about... Oh, sorry, I didn't mention... It's between Demonis Sabonis and Darius Garland. Um, Darius Garland is actually a tiny bit of a fade for me. Um, and I faded him a little bit last year, which was a huge mistake because... He was actually on his way to being an ADP miss until everybody got hurt. But again, I mean, like, everybody got hurt and then he was awesome. And... Sexton's still not back, and Ricky Rubio's still not back, so there's kind of no reason to go into full fade on Garland. Um, But if those guys do show up partway through the year, you'd expect his numbers to take a slight hit. His pre-rank is... Where the hell is he at on Yahoo right now? Um, 28. It's a little rich for my blood. If you're assuming that guys come back and take usage from him by December, January kind of thing, but it's also not that insane because... You bank on those guys maybe coming back slowly, or if at all, and, you know, this is something we always talk about, like, you say, oh, well, what about when so-and-so comes back? Sometimes it just sort of doesn't even happen. So, Garland, to me, is a very slight fade, but also not a totally unreasonable third-round point guard to grab. I just think there are slightly better options there, um, but I have no huge problem with it. So, the last name I wanted to mention and discuss is Demonis Sabonis. Because he was a guy that I actually faded last year, thinking that he had gotten a bit too rich. Remember, he was going in like that 18, 19, 20 range. And look, we all saw the, the, the 
it's, it's hard to say 2021. When I say 2021, I mean the year from 2020 to 2021, that season. That season, Sabonis was number 25 in what I thought was a world's perfect scenario for him. Everything ran through Sabonis that year. Malcolm Brogdon was hurt, as always. He had a ton of usage. They ran the offense through him, so he had almost seven assists per ball game. He missed 10 games in a year where, weirdly enough, the league average was 11 missed ball games. That was only two years ago. This last season, it was like 14. Nobody came close to making it through a year. So Demonis was number 62, or sorry, played in 62 out of 72 games. And his totals value was 24 when his per game value was 25. And so the fact that he was getting drafted 18, 19, 20 this last year, I thought, look, there's like, that's just no room for him. And I get it. When you're drafting in the first round, sometimes even the early second round, you're just looking to try to get someone who gets to their ADP because there simply isn't that much room to beat it. But there was, in my estimation, no room for him to beat it. And I didn't see how he possibly got to it anyway. Then the Pacers tanked. He got traded. He missed a bunch of ball games this last year. And... You know, the whole thing kind of came apart. The seams, he was 40 per game because his usage was lower. He played in 62 out of 82 games, so his totals value was way lower. This season, despite the fact that Sabonis's pre-rank hasn't fallen off that much year over year, again, he was like around 18, 19, 20 last year. He's at 25 this season. I thought it might be a little bit lower. I actually kind of like Sabonis as an early third-round pick. First of all, in Sacramento, you know, he'll be 1B, 1A, 1B with De'Aaron Fox. That's pretty easy to predict. Kings went out and got him. They want him to be one of the main focal points of their offense. So comparing season over season, getting into that 40 range per game seems extremely reasonable. And if we wanted him to get in front of that at all, it really wouldn't take all that much more you know, whether or not it's the steals going back from 1 to 1.2 or getting like one, just the littlest, littlest bit of usage bump, although that maybe that's asking a bit much because the usage is already pretty high, but it only took 12 and a half shots a game last year. So maybe you cook that number just the tiniest bit more. Maybe he figures out how to hit threes at a slightly better clip, and that goes from 0.6 to like 0.9. There's a lot of ways you could see him climbing from 40 to like, I don't know, 34 on a per-game basis. But what I do like about Sabonis is his situation this year. With Indy, he was on a team that went into a tank pretty early, got off to a terrible start, and the whole the, the building just came in. And then he went to a team that got eliminated early, and they went into a tank and started sitting everybody down. The Kings want to win this year. Whether they will or not remains to be seen, but they want to. So you're going to see that team compete until the very end. And to that end, I don't think it'd be that crazy to see Sabonis play in all but 10 or 11 ballgames, which should put him in front of the league average in games played. I think you're going to get a slight durability bump with him. So while he might be a late third per game guy, you could add two, three extra games to that and call him an early third overall value totals guy. Is there room for him to beat an ADP of 25? Probably not. That, of course, is the problem. But is there a way for him to get to it? 
I think the answer to that is absolutely. In fact, I think there are a lot of ways that he gets right at his value, and I have Sabonis ranked not that far back of 25. Are there other guys I'd rather have at 25 that are currently pre-ranked behind him? Yes, there are. Freddie Van Vliet, Tyrese Halliburton, Chris Paul, Time Lord, even someone like an Anthony Edwards, Vooch. There's plenty of names that I would prefer over Sabonis on a totals rank board. But where he's going now, and do I think he falls, perhaps, leading up to the season? Yeah, I think I could see his preseason drop back a little bit if some of those names I just listed move up. Van Vliet moves up. Garland could move up. Halliburton probably moves up. I don't think Chris Paul moves up. And those other guys probably stay far enough back where they don't get in the mix. But let's say Sabonis' pre-rank falls to 28-29. Suddenly now you've got a lot of ways for him to get there by totals. And if some of those guys move in front of him and they come off the board and you have a pick in the middle of the third round, those guys aren't there? Yeah, okay. Maybe Sabonis isn't perfect for that spot, but he's totally fine. And sometimes, friends, as we wrap up this Friday show, totally fine is okay. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today off-season show number 90, breaking down some of the players you guys were most interested in. Maybe we'll do a little bit more of that on Monday. That was kind of fun. I don't know. I'll figure it out over the weekend. We're winging it here for the next 12 days until we get that ADP data. And then, ooh boy, that's the good stuff. That's officially the ramp up. I know we're technically kind of on the downslope of the offseason hill here. We're past the halfway point. But ADP data coming out, that's when my brain hits the downslope. That sounds bad. Not gross bad, just like, what's wrong with Dan? Lots of stuff. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you all on Monday.